before we start the show, I want to let you all know the views, opinions, beliefs, and statements expressed are not necessarily those of 22 West Radio and Otaku Hourly. They are, in fact, of the host, guest, and or caller. 22 West Radio and Otaku Hourly hold no responsibility for the validity and or accuracy of information. Now with that out of the way, here we go. This film kind of gives sort of that excitement that a lot of directors and a lot of editors feel when they first sort of lay their eyes on a on a piece of film and sort of question like, how can I immerse myself in this? How can I feel what the character feels? How can I have that connection to the film? I would say this is probably the most inspiring movie. If you're if you're a film major, definitely watch this movie. If you're just a creative person in general, I haven't seen a more inspiring movie to get you off your butt and onto your project that you're totally putting off to watch this movie. Like, please, this movie will will get you to start working for a minute. Call like I would I would definitely put this up there in the realm of I'm in the middle of my finals or I have my art project final coming up or I have a deadline coming up and I know I'm procrastinating, but I need some like mental break from my work so I can continue going on, I feel like I'll just watch Pump of the Cinephile again real quick. And then you'll be just inspired <laughs> with a burst of creativity. It's like a shot of espresso to the creative brain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a good quote, actually. I'm going to use that. We are 22 West Radio, the next wave of KB. 22 West Radio is 22westmedia.com and 88.1 FM KKJZ HD3 Long Beach, Los Angeles. Coming in at your 9 o'clock hour, it's Otaku Alley, your backdoor anime hangout. Show host Jonathan Josar Beltran with Cliff, the Dex. Hey, it's Rav. Welcome to your backdoor anime hangout. That is Otaku Hourly. Nollywood is where the blockbusters are made, and Gene, a behind-the-scenes assistant, is given the task to direct a feature-length film, practically his directorial debut. With a dedicated production team, two actors, one legendary and another starring her first lead role, and a script from a famed producer named Pompo, can Jean deliver a film worthy of praise? This is a film called Pompo the Cinephile, directed by Takayuki Hirao, distributed by G-Kids, and animated by Studio Clap, which is a new studio with, you know, their first work being, once again, Pompo the Cinephile. So... What were your first impressions? What did you think of Pompo the Cinephile? Well, for someone who actually wants to get his uh, foot in the door of the entertainment industry and also likes to watch movies, TV series, and actually does his own system, uh, analyzing and also a freelance screenwriter, this movie was like, <laughs> it's not only entertaining, but it's like a tutorial for people who actually want to know what it's like to actually be in the movie industry. And... I actually, I'm, and I'm like, where's this movie been all my life? You're talking to a film major who is currently in, I guess what you can explain as an identity crisis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I very powerfully related to 
uh, what was the name gene yeah uh and his little struggle of like wanting to get himself into the industry but also never feeling like he's good enough for it okay the cool part is that message is actually applicable to anybody in any field or any creative field i guess in general right you're, you're going to be surrounded by people that you'll always think are better than you or more important than you and you're just a dude that's trying to like figure yourself out right but Pompo sees something in him and there's like a little spark in her eye that, that Jean has that nobody else has. And I always feel like I'm waiting for that moment in my life, you know? Mm. And it's really nice to be able to see like someone giving someone a chance and then them absolutely blowing it out of the water, you know? Right, right, right. Getting that opportunity to do mm -hmm, some, mm -hmm. something of that caliber. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I'm not saying like we all need a Pompo in our lives, but at the same time, I'm also saying that Maybe we're all genes, but we just don't believe in ourselves, you know? So it's just like the imposter syndrome, like, mm -hmm, all mm -hmm. coming in. Yeah, I, I very much liked the idea of... So if you've ever been on a set before, there are, like, times where uh, you, you're following the script and you're trying to get all the shots in and you have your script supervisor telling you, hey, we need these, we need these, we need these, uh, there should be some transition shots, have you been recording B-roll? You know, like, you have all these things in your head, but then, like... That scene where all the stars just aligned and they got a perfect shot in because the, the clouds were clearing right as they were clearing the, the that one little scene. I was like, those happen a lot more than you expect. And when they do happen, my God, you feel a sense of accomplishment. And they really encapsulated that in this film. That was like one of my favorite scenes I've ever seen because it was just so relatable. I've been on multiple sets where it's like, wow, everything lined up. We did it. We got it. <laughs> This is a film about movie making. This is essentially meant to show the love, the beauty, the splendor of film and why people do it. And to every, pretty much to every cinephile I've ever met, you know, editing is, as he said it within it, editing, the editor is the first audience member. It is sort of, they even sometimes call him the final director because at the end of the day, that's what cements the film. That what, that's, the shape it takes it's how you frame it it's how people experience it um it's the culmination of everything in which you had made and the fact that it has so much attitude so much sass so much dexterity so much willingness it just makes it thrilling to watch and i think that's definitely something that this film does bring up quite a bit and that is how do you engage a modern audience and this is how you do it i have to make a very powerful comments about the transitions in this movie i cannot explain like they break from the norm in like the craziest ways possible but at the same time like they're very cinematic like every single transition breaks from the norm in the craziest ways but like now whenever you see one of those transitions you're like well that's just a part of this movie that looks so good you know, like what there was like a scene where like it just go like the camera literally spins, goes into an iPhone camera and then zooms in onto the iPhone screen. And I'm like, what the hell? Who does this? Yeah. Or even Who animated. Like, this? Yeah. Or even like something like the transition of like the turn of pages, window wipers pages turning into the coffee. Uh, I wrote down a bunch of notes about these because they were so cool. <laughs> That one establishing shot when they were in Switzerland and then it was literally a look like a photograph because there was the building on the left. The horizon on the background, some trees in the far end on the right, and then if you if you know anything about photography, they like they put in the rule of thirds, the golden rule. It was just so prominent in your face, and I'm like, I've never seen an artist animate a perfect photograph. I don't know. This kind of gives me a little bit of hope, perhaps that perhaps the future of cinema 
may be a very diverse and very exciting medium from what it currently is. I, I, I guess what I sort of mean to say is that, like, why, if you think about the reason why, you know, a lot of films nowadays, you know, like, they're either remakes or they're just based on things that have already been, like, um, you know, tested time and time again and just trying to improve on it. And it's just, it's so boring. I, I, I haven't really seen, honestly, a good film in theaters in quite a while. But if you go to the internet, you go to a lot of, like, these new directors, these new editors these new cinematographers these new animators who are just trying to sort of see if we can play with the functionality of how we present a um you know how we present a film how we take in information um you know the the world itself is moving so much quicker it's moving at a speed that you know it's sort of unprecedented the answer the key to that i guess to that evolution might actually be editing you know, as we were talking about editing, it made me think about just these two particular characters. Uh, notably, Gene Finney, the man who directed, and Pompo, you know, the producer and scriptwriter of the film. What is your take on both of these characters? I would say that they're kind of the two film characters that not only carried the film just for obvious reasons of being major characters, but also just their personalities, their dynamics, the sense that I feel like she was the kind of mentor that Gene needed. I feel like Pompa was just, just gave him just the right to push, um, to be able to feel like he could accomplish what he needed to do for his own vision, his own understanding, and his own contribution to the film, without being overly meddlesome. And that is something that is a really difficult. It's a difficult tightrope to really walk. Because in many regards, as Pompo says, making a film is a team effort. You have to, at the end of the day, have a cohesive vision. But, you know, it also is um, the sum of its parts and greater than that at the same time. Um, without, you know, without the crew, without the cast, without um, the producer and the director, without, um, you know, any number of factors, even the weather. And that's actually one of the things I really love, too, is the idea that there's this improvisation that also occurs within the process as well that comes from various people's ideas i i feel like she was pompa really she served such a good role mentoring um gene giving him a chance to really like come into his own and to realize that this isn't necessarily like you, you can't ever make a film that's going to satisfy everybody you can't you just can't but if you can write something that's authentic to yourself that actually has like um you know a tinge of who you are of your experiences um and you know you can put something that real into the film itself into the characters into the way you frame it there's some there's so, something so much more exciting about that something so much more human and i feel like gene um being somebody who is incredibly self-conscious as any person starting out in film would feel it, it's a self-consciousness that i feel to this day as i'm trying to get into the industry myself um it's it's good to know and to even remember why you love film why you chose this path it's not about doing it right it's about doing it in a sublime and unique way 
in a way that really speaks to you. And I feel like that's what they really tried to do with him. And, and that is sort of make Gene this individual that very much has his own identity, but is also somebody that we, or at least us um, cinephiles can incredibly relate to. And I think that realness, that person, um, that how personal the story felt, it almost felt like the director himself was trying to tell a story about his first film. It, 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 it actually felt incredibly authentic in that respect. And I, f- I feel like people connect to that far more than they connect to just the every man who doesn't have anything really like, you know, like, you know, that drives, uh, you know, that drives them. Yeah. The, the blank slate. Them, like, uniqueness. Yes, yes, yes. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I, I totally feel where you're coming from because, like, I love Gene and Pompo's um, dynamic. They're they're just perfect foils for one another. Um, I know, like, with Gene, as you mentioned, he is self-conscious. And Pompo, being the established uh, producer in Yollywood, she is professional. She's a lot more confident. And it's, uh, it's that kind of dynamic where it's never, like, you're pushing them overboard like Pompo is being firm. She is stating stating to Gene, like, one, you have this amazing opportunity. And if you make any of these kind of decisions, be aware of the consequences that it may lead to. And I, I just love how this film just really shows uh it it, it has a perfect balance between uh Gene's undying passion for film while also having this sort of uh i I guess in a way this sort of shonen protagonist uh who am i and what can i really do because we're, we're seeing him direct we're seeing him edit we're seeing him really just go out of his way and to declare that this is his movie and i need this or if these things don't work, then we could look at it in another way. Like when the weather came to be, when it started raining, it gave him an opportunity to be more flexible with like a certain kind of scene that could that can work out. He bounced off ideas with the crew. And when it all eclipsed to the image of the rainbow, which wasn't even on the script, it was just marvelous just to see how Gene was not only able to adapt... He was able to be moved by this. You know what he kind of reminds me of? He kind of reminds me of Midoriya from My Hero Academia a little bit. He has his little notebook and he would actually write down important stuff that he might see is important to him that he can use to contribute for a movie the same way how Midoriya would write down his notebook that would help him become a better hero. And also, like Midoriya, he has a keen eye. While Midoriya has a keen eye for heroes, he has a keen eye for movies. And his analysis of how he breaks down of what how particular movies work in different ways is like really interesting when you look at the dude you will never really think twice that this man may have something that can contribute to 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 the movie industry you would never really think that on the inside he is so much more it's really like it's like that saying don't judge a book by its cover because you never know what that person will have that you will need that can actually be something that you may be looking for. And I think that's what Pompo saw in him. I don't think he even saw it in him himself. 
And I think because of that newly found confidence, uh, he was able to come out of his comfort zone and actually do something that he always wanted to do. Although he was nervous, he actually still had the drive to do it. That made him showcase that for someone like him, he can actually have that spark of bravery to do something that makes you want to do what you want to do in the first place. I feel like I have a bit of a different take on sort of who Gene is, and that is I don't see him so much as a shonen protagonist trying to prove himself, but rather he had the gifts pretty much all along. It's about him being able to accept putting his own ego into the film and mm-hmm. that there is a, an acceptable, um, uh, you know, there is actually a need to put your ego into your work. You know, a lot of people, you know, basically say, like, you don't want to put your entire ego into it. You still want to listen to people. You still want to get advice. You still want to grab inspiration from the world. And that's fine and all. And you should do that. But I feel like what Gene was lacking from the beginning was his own vision, his own reason for wanting to do it. Initially, he started off as somebody just wanting to prove himself. But by the end, this became something that became his passion. Like it's something that he needed to see finished and needed to see in just the way that he had it envisioned because that vision itself, the obsession is what's going to make it brilliant to begin with. That's putting yourself into the film. Just to, you know, just as everybody else on set put themselves into the film in their own way. It's both a collaborative effort and a very egotistical one at the same time. And being able to walk that balance is not an easy thing to do. And oftentimes people will fall to one end or to the other. In his case, falling more to, um, less towards himself and more towards the expectations of others. But what I find really sort of unique about Gene as a character, and especially as an anime character, is that usually anime characters aren't told to be selfish. They're told to think about the greater good. They're told to think about everyone else around them and to act in a way that benefits everybody. And by the end of this film, he was like, yeah, the heck with it. You know, the heck with everything. The heck with if this is going to work out, the budgeting or the livelihoods. That matters. Don't get me wrong. But we have to do this right We need to do this right. And this is the vision that I have set for this film. And it needs to be done if you want it to succeed. And if you don't put that effort in and you don't put yourself into it, it might as well just be a hollow, empty ghost of a shell. And that is such a unique character arc. It's it's such a refreshing character arc for anime. I so rarely see it. Right, right, right. And I think it was also uh, eclipsed in the, in the scene where Natalie Woodward, the lead actress uh, in, in his film, uh, see w- what he's editing out and how much it actually breaks her heart to see all that. And it's knowing that at the end of the day, it's this is my film. I am editing this and I want to see it in the way that I want it to precisely just absolutely precisely and even kind of prove this point a little bit further i always believe that the best adaptations the best um, films when it came to adaptations never ever 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 go one-to-one with the original writing the original script because that is in itself its own work you have to own the work you can't just replicate it you have to own it 
And in many regards, that also is going to mean upsetting people along the way who had an expectation or had a specific desire for how it's going to be. And as a screenwriter, this is something I've had to accept time and time again. If I hand my work off to a director or to an editor, it will change. And I want it to. Because that's also that is them adding their vision and their own um, like sense of what it should be um, into my work. And that, to a screenwriter, is a great honor. A lot, of, a lot of screenwriters can get salty over that. But it is a great honor to see your work become alive, to become its own, and to evolve as it evolves with the cast, the crew, the direction, and the editing. It's the beauty of film to begin with. That's why we do what it we do. It is interesting to see just how Gene really pours his heart and soul into not only just creating this film, it's also just inhabiting all this knowledge and all this opportunity that was given to him by Pompo as a sort of love letter to say thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity. Oh. Yeah. It's a love letter. That's a that is actually an analogy I never really thought of. Yeah, like it it is like for me that's how it communicates because it is it is a matter of seeing how much Gene not only is himself like an enthusiast of movies, a very passionate one at that, noting about several of Martin Braddock's movies. Um <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And it, it it was his goal. How is he going to make a movie that will move him or move Pompo? Because she even notes that uh, I believe it was the director asking, why didn't you choose to direct the film, Pompo? And she just says, because if I made the film, it wouldn't move me. I needed someone who could do that. And so it's seeing how Pompo really put all like essentially all of her cards and all of her chips in to Jean and her production team to make it happen. And Jean working effortlessly to do that. It's honestly, I don't think there's any other word than to say just a love letter, an expertly crafted one at that too. I don't know. It felt very much like a love letter to film in the way that, you know, can really only be done by people who have been a part of the process, and it's it's all it's beautiful to see. Some some films um, talk about film better than others, and I feel like it did a really dang good job. want you to listen to otaku hourly or anything baka show host jonathan joestar beltran with cliff the dex oh rabbit Welcome to your backdoor anime hangout. That is Otaku Hourly. We are talking about the latest film from G Kids and as well as the new studio, Studio Clap, called Pompo the Cinephile. Your own personal critiques, what are they? In life, networking is key. It is everything. Because 
how else are you actually going to get into a position that you want to get yourself into without knowing someone who is literally inside the position and you know networking can actually work in various ways either you you know run into a person that is random that you never met but you never know if that person may be in the may be in the company or industry that you want to get yourself into, or vice versa. The person that will come to you if they think that you got the goods of what they're looking for. I think that the way how they actually did that, and <laughs> this may sound a bit cynical on my part, but I think that was a bit too optimistic the way how they approached it. Because I'm not saying that professionals should not help newcomers come professionals themselves. But at the same time, it's really almost unlikely that a professional would just actually just go up to someone and say, I'm going to give this a try, or you want to be an actress, or you want to be an actor, or you want to be this or that. I find it unlikely that a professional would go out his or her way just to find someone random to actually give them a chance because it kind of like uh, destroys the idea of that hard work can pay off because it can, but it's not always a guarantee. That's the sad realization. People who actually say that hard work will always pay off. Me, I say hard work can pay off. There's no, there's no guarantees in life. And I feel like the fact that um, Pompo gave, like, Natalie, to me, she gave her this guarantee or this chance, this guaranteed chance to become an actress to see what she can do. And to me, I kind of like that sort of, like, defeats the purpose of, you know, showing the harsh re reality, a harsher reality, if I, if I should say, of people who want to actually want to, you know, who are willing to do whatever it takes to actually reach their dreams or reach their goal. And it's like my case, you know, I've met some people who are somewhat in the industry, keyword somewhat, but I have not, they, but it feels like they're not really helping me out, even though I talk about my projects or the things that I want to do and maybe that cast their interest. It's like they won't, with someone who is unsolicited so you have to find ways to make yourself more marketable and more legit and that's hard it really is it's not like someone's gonna give me a silver plate i gotta work to get that silver plate you know and i don't know in my eyes the way how they did it it seems like a little too optimistic but it does showcase some of that hardship that natalie has to do with her job all of a sudden like pompo probably seeing something about her that is like like a diamond in the rough that would give her a chance to become this new gym. Right, 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 right. Because it is very much of like a stroke of luck. Uh, since Pompo is the one who is producing the film, who has this, who essentially in her role is to recruit these people and whatnot. And I also was in that kind of thought space too where it's just it, this movie seems a little bit too optimistic uh compared to many uh some of the realities that people have been experiencing I, i'm just curious did this detract from your enjoyment of the film like just this sort of mm -hmm. no not at all it did not really distract me from anything if honestly it kind of <laughs> and this may actually sound kind of 
choppy or this may actually sound a little soft for my taste because I actually don't really actually like to say this or pretty much express this, but it kind of gave me a little bit of hope that if someone like Natalie, who is basically like a nobody, can actually get a chance, why can't I? But at the same time, I remember it's a movie. So it's part of the plot. In real life, we don't get such plot. It's not really structured. Everything happens by chance or by luck or by circumstance or coincidence. It's not a linear structure. It's abstract. We live in an abstract world compared to a plot. It's more linear because it's from point A, B, and C. At the same time, the other side of it was this gave me a little bit of an idea of an idea of hope. That if someone like her can actually get into an industry like that and who knows that it could actually happen to me or it could happen to anyone of the profession they want to get themselves into. I would say that the probably the most major one and might be a bit controversial. I don't really understand why we got the lead actress's point of view. I feel like her role in the film was very underutilized and it kind of made me question why they gave her screen time to begin with. Because outside of that one scene in the third act and beyond what we saw in the very first establishing scenes, it's really more Jean's story than anything. And I feel like if there were to be a co-star, it was much more um, it's much more the producer than her. I just wanted her to stand out sort of in a way that like at least gave her maybe like even if it was like a C um, plot, um, you know, that kind of gave her like a bit of a resolution or like um, some reason for being there. That's more than as they put it, you know, like somebody, you know, like a nice actress to look at. And I guess that was probably the only other critique I had. And that is like the. Uh, it very much shows some of the archaic aspects of the film industry, and that's still probably very true over there, but and you know, it's still true here to some extent, although I don't think nearly as much in the past decade. But now I, um, you know, like sort of the concept like, you know, oh, the actress is everything. She always has to look beautiful. She always has to play the standout role and that can be a massive success to a film i feel like that's been challenged a lot more recently in the past 10 years and i do feel like that's sort of the one thing that didn't age particularly well and kind of irked me a little bit um i'm more interested in like interesting protagonists as i feel like most people at least here in the west like at least here in the states are just interested in seeing protagonists who can really stand out, who can really be interesting. But at the same time, too, it also does speak to the truth of the industry in some respects that, you know, that is still something they look for. They have to market an actress as much as they have to market just about anybody who is going to enter the limelight, and it's a sad reality. I guess that's just something that I personally don't see any real need to celebrate. But beyond that, and... Um, beyond just sort of the role of the lead actress, I, I, I feel like I feel like um, that was something that was I feel like those two points are almost connected in a way like the 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 way in which they talked about the actress's role in the film is very much kind of the role that she ended up sort of playing um, in terms of just she was there. She, you know, this. Yeah, the script was written around her, but we never really got to understand why. 
And I feel like that's sort of probably my massive critique of the film. I, I just wanted to understand that better. I wanted to understand, well, why are we spending time with her? Right, because I I was on the fence with regards to just how the film like highlights Natalie Woodward being a major character because we did see her for the first part and then the uh the third final part i just feel like somewhere in the middle it just kind of got lost where it just it, like sure she did she you see her uh performance uh in the film just uh, you know as they're shooting scenes as she's contributing ideas yet it never felt how do i say it I never really got to see her develop. Like it just felt like it was done at the first at the first uh, part, and that's about it. And then she's just uh, she's just a part of the cast. Which, of course, film set whatever. The thing is, I don't really see her struggle. I don't really see how much it really means to be acting with a legendary actor like Martin Braddock. It didn't give me an impact. Or she didn't give me much of a presence, and I, I think for me, just with the uh, the the women being like you know central to the whole thing, I, I think it's to play devil's advocate here. I, I think it's within the context of Pompo herself producing like more B movie flicks and whatnot, so a lot of it tends to be in that B movie blockbuster sect of things. And of course, I also am in agreement with. The idea of like we want more profound protagonists to follow and whatnot, and it is uh, something that we, as a in in the twenty twenties, demand more than just you know the male gaze or just beautiful women. Not to say that we don't we don't like beautiful people on screen. It's just more along the lines of we we want characters. <laughs> we want people who we could relate to as opposed to just seeing just simply like oh you're here for the beautiful people and just kind of like objects in the screen and stuff like that for our own uh self-fulfillment and stuff like that and desires no i completely agree i mean like even comparing like i mean pompa was such a like well-written character it just sort of surprised me that didn't exactly follow through with natalie and I feel like part of the reason why um, her arc suffered in some regard is because I'm not saying that it was a bad decision for the film to do this. I just think that they should have either gone with one or the other. I think introducing his high school friend kind of ended up sort of taking the plot in a direction that like, I'm not saying was bad, but I'm saying kind of put a distance away from Natalie. And I feel like as a result of um, trying to sort of, I kind of feel like they're balancing too many subplots or at least they weren't necessarily threading in a way where um, Natalie continuously felt, you know, important to the process of the filmmaking. I feel like she kind of got overshadowed throughout pretty much the entirety of the second act. And that's unfortunate considering the second act is arguably the most important place to well develop your character. Right, right, right. I agree with that. Mm hmm. And so I, I, I think maybe it's just sort of a lack of focus there. Um, I don't know. Like I, I, I saw like a strong direction where about where they wanted to take both subplots. I think the issue is that they were greeting what they wanted to keep both in. 
and as a result of that, there was just an issue with get, with getting them the thread in a way that felt natural. And so Natalie took up the third, sort of the first half. Um, his high school friend, investor friend, ended up taking the second um, part of the film, and then they had to share the third. Um, and while his high school friend got a bit, uh, you know, a bit of a resolution, Natalie herself kind of fell to the wayside and considering she we essentially got her point of view for a good solid amount of the first um like establishing act of the film it just felt like a letdown like and i think that's i think that's sort of what's kind of getting to me the most and that is she was given the kind of attention at the beginning of the film that sort of suggests a dual protagonistship and i think that is part of the reason why it suffers so that if her perspective was never given in the first part i probably wouldn't be complaining um, but because it sort of was set up that way, I think the writing kind of suffered a little bit there, but, um, which is ironic for a film that basically was constantly talking about, okay, how do we cut this down essentially to be as efficient as possible? And I think in some regards in its desire for efficiency, it failed to sort of see the inter um, you know, like the interthreading, like sort of subplots that it needed to balance, although its A plot was still very well executed as a whole. Yeah, Gene just coming over here, just be like, No, Natalie, this is my movie. Get out. Ego <laughs> This is the meta movie. Uh, basically. Basically. <laughs> uh, I have to make a point to mention this. That's actually like well they okay, I'm very glad that the film made a point to point this out but that's actually generically a very big no-no to have your director be the editor as well mm. because there's a and i think this is like one of the big point uh, plot points of the movie which was like i enjoyed it very much but like i i felt the i i per i felt the pain very personally right mm. because like i've only worked on student budget films or no budget films or not really films tv series right mm -hmm. sorry hiccup yeah <laughs> but um like you never want, never, not never, but you rarely want your director to edit your film as well because the director will have attachment to certain things that don't need to be in the film. Mm. Like, okay, um, one of the, uh, we're going to go back to that perfect shot, like the perfect storm or perfect sequence of everything that happened when the stars aligned and they got that perfect sunrise after the mud fight, right? Right. He knows that that scene was a very perfectly shot scene. But in the context of the film, maybe you don't need the entirety of that. And he cut a majority of that. And that's why he was sitting there like, how do I cut this? I, I can't sit here and press the cut button because I really like this scene. I want it in there, you know, but like, I'm very glad that Natalie walked up behind him and was like, just do it. Like, you know, oh, I trust everything that you're going to do right here. And then he hits the button because it, it makes you realize that, like, maybe you don't need this attachment to things as long as the context of everything is still there. Mm -hmm. And like, you can apply that to a lot of things in life, like. Don't get too attached to the things that like you've lived through if it's not going to fit in the context of your future. Interesting. Can you expand a little bit on that? Uh, it's just, you know, in general, like you get really attached to his perfect shot, but like it's going to push the film above the hour 30 that he wants to hit it at, you know? And if this is what he wants more, like then sure, cut the little thing that like you you felt was really good, but in like the grand scheme of everything, like it doesn't need to be there and you're only attached to it because you did a really good thing at that point when it happened, you know? It's interesting, too, because I know, like, they kind of took a bit of an American sort of approach. Like, you know, oh, it's a 
Hollywood knockoff. It's meant to be sort of based on Hollywood, but there are so many aspects of the film that are so unique to the Japanese film industry that gave it its, you know, like gave it its authenticity. But I'm, it almost sort of surprises me that they really wanted to go for the Hollywood aesthetic instead of looking to like capitalize on like what Japanese filmmaking itself looks like. Um, and that that could be almost like a whole movie in its own right, like sort of how that industry has grown and how it's changed and evolved since there's not a lot of film industries out there that don't have like major names. And like, you, you, you know, you here in the U S you have like MGM, you have bought you know, 20th century Fox, you have Warner brothers, you know, any number of studios like Warner brothers. Yeah. You have any number of major studios that can put out millions of dollars and a lot of domestic film industries in different countries just don't have that advantage unless you're literally like India or Korea where like, that's the kind of the exception. Right. But right. Um, <laughs> Japan in itself is just so unique in that like its whole investment strategy, its whole um, film industry is kind of unique in a respect. Um, especially compared to the U.S. industry, and so no, it's just a it's an interesting sort of cultural difference that um, I don't even think, I, or like I even sort of question if the filmmakers themselves were aware about the different um, cultural differences between our industry and theirs. Yeah, no, that's a fascinating thing to think about. In fact, I might as well do some research on that myself. Hey, this is Mike McFarlane, and you're listening to Otaku Hour. Show host Jonathan Joseph Beltran here with Cliff. The Dex. Hey, it's Rev. Welcome to your backdoor anime hangout. That is Otaku Hourly. We are talking about the latest film from G Kids and as well as the new studio, Studio Clap, called Pompo the Cinephile. I, I just find it interesting that there's a lot of good, like, quotes in here not like one-liners but good uh sayings that just kind of that just stick in your head and get you thinking and whatnot so make it a movie for the one person you want to show it to the most it will give you a sharp focus and a clear outline what do you think about that line yeah that got me thinking like when you're making a movie what is uh, what are you making this movie for or towards to like when you said that could be a lot of things it could be it could just be for the audience but i think what he was trying to tell gene is what are you making this movie for and i feel like me personally in case if i do remember the movie correctly wants to make this for himself not in the sense that he is the only audience who can enjoy it but he's making it for himself as something that he can be proud of making along with his crew, for something that he can claim that is his own. A masterpiece that he put his heart, his blood, sweat, and tears, and his soul in to something that he can be proud of and look back at. That's what I feel like the director was telling that to Gene. When he's telling him that question, what are you making this movie for? I truly do think that he was trying to see if Gene wants to know if he's making it for himself. Because if you're making it for other folks, you can may please some. But what would you? But where will be left for you? What would be left for your sense of worth and enjoyment? That's why when I write, I'm actually writing for me. 
At the same time, I also want to write something for the audience for them to relate to and something for them to, for something they can actually get behind that saying that what I'm writing is relatable or it's understandable. I think that's the same way for uh, for Gene. I've actually thought about that a lot and I sitting with it, I began thinking, huh, if you can almost sort of rein in what you have to say and you think about really specifically just who you want to say it to, you know, delivery is all about framing. It's all about who you're saying it to, what you want to express and the way you think they'll be most receptive to it. And, you know, when you make something for everyone, it can be really difficult to really have any specificity in a vision that's meant, you know, essentially to have to get, serve so many competing interests, so many competing impetuses, motive, motives, and beliefs about film or about what you're trying to create. But if you manage to really hone it down, I think, like, to somebody, you know, to somebody who's important to you or to somebody who you really understand and really get, it's like having a conversation with somebody. Every conversation's different. Everyone has its own means of expression its own reason for sort of existing and its own delivery depending on the person who they are and if you think about like scenes if you think about scenes in a film and you think about what truly good dialogue is for example it's always really like a very specific and a very like engaging exchange between two really fleshed out individuals and so in many regards to write um, or to direct or to edit a film in the belief that as a conversation to someone else or a conversation to a particular thing that you want to say, maybe even like trying to convince somebody of a new theme or idea or reconceptualizing what you have to say, um, you know, to somebody who you know will really get it. Or maybe even somebody who you know won't, so that you can begin to think about really unique and creative ways of saying it. It's such a fascinating way of going about writing. I honestly want to try it. Yeah, no, that's a, that honestly is a... That sounds like a very exciting road to go down onto because I also... I, I really vibed <laughs> with that quote. It, it hit me hard. Uh, I mean, like, on a movie basis, like, of course we see Gene really trying to express that through, like, making Pompo's script give it a breath of life and whatnot. Just going by that movie... It shows uh, how much he really does appreciate the opportunity and takes it to be his own and to kind of like just deliver it as a sort of like a thank you, a love letter of sorts of film to Pompo and whatnot. I, I guess for me in my own uh, case, it's just like it, it really gets me thinking, uh, especially as uh, an actor, just a matter of like, who am I saying this to? Like, who am I really delivering this these lines to and giving it, like, a potency to really say, like, there is a real risk and along with that, a relatability, like this sort of groundedness to express that to somebody. Like, it's more than just the lines. It's what's behind the lines. I know that's that that's a very corny way of saying it, but it, it it I don't think you could get any more to the brass tacks than that. It's just really finding the feeling, really getting to the 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 specificity, which 
gets into the heart of things. Like it really gives this sort of unique flavor, this um, attitude, this way of approaching a particular role. And I think it's something that not only just creatives, just people in general need to be aware of. Like we know that uh, each person's, like how we interact with one another is different, but I don't think we really can comprehend just how different we are <laughs> with uh, each person and seeing like what we say, how we behave is ultimately informed to just how do we want to say this message to to this particular person? I think that's incredibly profound. And I think in many regards, it can be so fascinating, the dialogues, the conversations, the exchanges that we can have and the way that it can really affect people. We do, we're doing a podcast right now on our own thoughts, our own perspectives on any number of anime series and whatnot. And that dialogue within itself can spur other dialogue, um, which can spur more and more and more. And I think really the interesting aspect about the interconnectivity of the modern age is looking at all of these dialogues um, hand in hand, looking at how much um, human society has changed, how much we've grown just from having di and these dialogues with each other. I mean, the world used to be so separated. It used to be very difficult for um, a variety of different perspectives and visions to really be seen. And now we live in an era where it's, much more abundant than it ever has been and it can still be even more abundant now and so watching works um that really are meant to be conversations that are meant to be ideas expressed you know that's what writing a theme really is about at the end of the day and i think in the case of gene the reason why the type of dialogue what he wanted to say and what he wanted to get across in this film I think it was entirely for Pompo. I think that was, I think what he wanted to get across in this was the film that she so desperately wanted to see. Something that is her vision, but not her work. Something that she can be content with because it's not something, that, you know, it's not just her talking to herself anymore. It's her having a conversation with Gene of her vision, of him pushing back on it. And even if it means ruffling her feathers and even going against some of her own, you know, pretext for what she thinks the script should be, it's that thrill in the fact that there's still a conversation going there um, between two different visions, two different ideas. And I think she really just wanted to see what he had to say. And he was able to at the end of the day. And it all pretty much is shown when uh, she was getting interviewed to just say like i want a movie that moves me uh if i had a hand in it then it wouldn't move me at all no exactly because it's the same reason why you know you're not going to tell a heartfelt emotional story that you already know to yourself what's the point um same thing with jokes why would you want to tell yourself the same joke that you already know because the we want to you know, think we're funny <laughs> I guess what I, I I guess what I mean to say is that just not really a lot of entertainment in talking to him. 
of knowing what the other person is already going to say or trying to convince yourself of something you already believe. Most of the interesting parts of writing any kind of fiction is trying to sort of convince other people um, or at least giving them a new perspective on something that truly moves inspires. And I think, you know, like, it's really the difference between works that go on to be brilliant versus works that are just trying to follow trends or are trying to copy the success of other works. It's part of the reason why when you look at cliches and even anime, that the anime that established a cliche is always going to do it better because there was always a reason for it to be there. And that its imitators are kind of missing the reason why it was there to begin with. Yeah, so uh that one i very much <laughs> again i it's me this movie was made for me <laughs> uh as a film major and i'm pretty sure this also goes for all other like creative majors but for me as a film major it has taught me how to not enjoy movies to the best of my ability <laughs> but, <laughs> that i mean i cannot just watch a movie blindly and say wow i enjoyed that like i have to take a scene apart piece by piece why is the angle shot from this angle? Why is it slightly canted? Why are they in the shadows? Why is... Have you seen the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once? I have yet to do that. Okay, Surprisingly I'll tell enough. you right now, that movie has shot up to my favorite movie of all time on the second watch. And wow. I watched them both two days from each other. <laughs> wow. Dang. It is such a good movie. There's a film theory called Chekhov's Gun. The idea was that the main character, Chekhov... When he opens his front door to answer, like the doorbell rings, he answers the front door. In the background of the scene, you see a gun mounted on top of a fireplace. That's a very important thing to do because in most cases, you, you would just open the door, you would talk. But no, they made a shot specifically so you could see past him, see the fireplace, and see the gun mounted on the top. When you show it on screen, it has to be used at some point. Everything Everywhere was a film that reminded me distinctly that films can be an art. And that's a very contextual question or answer to a question that I need to specify real quick. Um, me working in the film industry or like at least looking at Hollywood from a third person perspective. Okay, to contextualize this just a little bit more, I despise the idea of working in Hollywood personally. Mm -hmm. Like I have a film degree, but it makes me really look at Hollywood and think I would never want to work there. Mm -hmm. So I, I find a lot of passion in like, YouTube studios or broadcast studios or like being on stage for like esports events. Like I, I have a lot of fun doing film stuff that I've learned in without a Hollywood context. Because to me, Hollywood is very I guess everything you 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 like probably came out of some Hollywood related studio, right? But at the same time, for me, it feels heartless because you're just a cog in the machine for someone else's like work, you know, like you're being paid really well, sure. You have uh like a bunch of like unions like on your side to help you make sure you get paid for everything that you need to get paid for, and all your work is like credited as it should be. But at the same time, like again, I don't like that feeling of feeling like I'm just another little hog in that machine of Hollywood that just keeps spinning and doing the the little thing that's put in my table, you know. When I watched everything everywhere is all, all at once, A twenty four is not a small studio, but it's not like a big Hollywood studio at the same time, right? And I could feel their artistic input in the story they wanted to tell in the context of that movie, right? Like it just, everything about that movie clicked that light in my head that reminded me, wow, film is more than just being a cog in the machine. It's just 
you can be as creatively expressive as you want to be if you're just brave enough to throw it out into your movie. And it really resonated well with me, like reminding me that film can be an art. This whole thing about like making a movie for the person you want to make it for the most. I have to remember that not every movie is a big budget Hollywood Marvel movie, like a big superhero movie that's there to pander to every single one of the kids and the people that are too way too in deep to Marvel movies, etc. Films that are made for the context of just telling a story that you wanted to tell can be extremely artistic again, even in this day and age. After watching that movie, after watching Pompo, actually very specifically after watching Pompo, I'm sitting here like, I really need to get off my butt and like grab my camera and start recording like random ideas because there are messages in my head that I really feel like I need to tell, but I lost my path on the way. And now I got to think like, I don't need to make these for content or my or a YouTube channel or for a, a company where I, I feel like I should be making things for. I need to make these things because I have a story I want to tell. So, so one of the things I really wanted to do was a, a documentary on cosplayers, right? Right. That movie made it click in my head. I want to make that for any person who's on the fence about learning how to cosplay. You know, I want this little documentary idea to exist so someone could stumble on it and think, you know, I've been wanting to get into cosplay. Is it hard? I wonder what cosplayers have to think about it. They might stumble upon that video and then they'll think, wow, they all make very good points and it's not that hard. I could really get into this. I want to go to my next con and cosplay. You know, if I could tell a message like that and make anyone for any moment believe in themselves, then I consider myself a victor. Mm, that's a and mm -hmm. just that little tiny quote in Pompo just sat, sat with me and I'm just like how dare you attack me it's <laughs> <laughs> like how could you I had this idea but you really inspired me to do it and I feel guilty <laughs> here's another quote and of course I'm going to provide context here where Pompo explains why she saw Jean as a worthy asset as someone who is like qualified to be her assistant at the time one his eyes don't sparkle and people who live fulfilled lives their eyes sparkle and it's because they lived a fulfilled life it leaves mostly superficiality so it doesn't really there's not much to work with with gene's case it is that he's an outcast and because he's an outcast, he immerses himself into his own world, which is a wellspring of creativity. And that is happiness destroys creativity. Oh, what is your thought on that? God damn, that was a strong ass quote. I don't know if I told you this before, but writing never really a passion of mine, honestly. Okay. It never really was. Interesting. Even growing up. Even growing up, it never really became, I never really thought about it. I mean, I have written some, some creative things here and there, and I actually didn't enjoy it, but I never really can, but I never really actually thought ahead of something that this could be a passion of mine that I may want to turn into a career. Just never really sprung to me like that. Mm. And even when I actually was, you know, just, I was just writing down with my friends just for the heck of it, I didn't really actually think of it. Matter of fact, I was not really a goal-oriented guy when I was in high school. I didn't uh -huh. really actually figure, I didn't really know what I wanted to become. I know that's part of the journey, but I was so hell-bent on figuring out what is it that I want to become because 
eventually when I do reach that point, what am I going to do? I do nothing. What's the point of me living? So find what I can find that could be a passion or at the very least something I can actually enjoy. And it took some time and it took some realization that I don't have a passion. I truly don't. Even to this day, I don't have a passion. Even with writing, it's not a passion. It's like she's saying, like, even though you don't have that spark in your eye, even though you don't have that passion, even though you don't have that drive, you still have something in you that still kind of pushes you, even though you don't have that influence for yourself. You have that instinctive drive that still pushes you to write, even though you don't see yourself as a passionate writer. Compared to people who are passionate writers and they actually write every day, every night, every morning, what before they go to bed, before they even wake up, they think about nothing but writing. I don't have that mentality. But it's okay. That's the thing. It's okay. It's fine. Because what you have may be something that people who spent years and years of writing and actually getting acclaim and awards and all that are missing what you have all along that you can use later down the line that could be even greater how it really communicates to me is just like it's like sure on its face that it is like it, it equates to happiness being the ultimate killer of creativity i i think it it attacks in this against superficiality like where it for outcasts it is a matter of examining this potential world, all these kind of musings that who have been kind of like just thinking about, who have just been really uh, lost in their own thoughts. And then it's just begging for it to really come to life. And not nothing against, you know, those who have lived fulfilled lives. I, I think in terms of just like the creative industry, it is knowing that there is that what it yearns for is a sort of world that hasn't been explored or a message that just needs to be said. And in a way, just kind of like it is a rage against superficiality just to say like, no, we don't want any of that fake stuff. We want the real, the deep, the human, like this, this endless ocean of humanity, which is just this wellspring so much potential uh, for creativity. I I don't think it's as literal as a lot of people will think of it at first. I right, mean, context is required. That, yeah, I, I don't think you have to be necessarily as depressed as the creator of Evangelion to create something brilliant. That being said, <laughs> that being said, I do think the difference between people who have lived relatively normal and happy lives compared to those who have lived on the fringes or on the outside of society or those who, you know, essentially don't necessarily fit into the mold and kind of have their own way of looking at things. I think the unique advantage to having that perspective is you're always going to be critical of the status quo. You're always going to question, you know, why things are the way they are. You're you're going to look at it either as an outsider or as a reject and sort of say, where do I fit in in all of this? Where, you know, how do I look at society? Is do I look at it radically differently because I, you know, not everything came to me easily. Not everything 
um, worked out in the way that it should have. Or uh, in many cases, like I just, I have um, a different drive or a different reason for being on this earth than most people. And, you know, that I feel like that's honest, you know, there's a bit of truth to that in everybody, but I think some people are more content with the status quo and are more content with their lives than other people. And I think, I don't think it's happiness, but rather contentness to be content with your circumstances, to be content with your life that essentially drives out a lot of passion because passion comes from a deep desire to want to make something, to want to create and the only way that a, a lot of times people really only have a drive to create when they want to change something and then when they then when they want to change something so fundamental i actually think that's part of the reason why out of most of the indie films in which i've seen a lot of the indie films that come from countries that are more impoverished or countries that aren't as well off or have you know very rigid social structures or social systems that make it harder to essentially live a you know what people would call a common life. Um, I I feel like a lot of those unique perspectives that we see that end up you know like winning cans um like film film festival awards come from people who aren't content, people who have to challenge the world structure and the society around them and question you know, where's my place in all of this? Who am I in all of this? And I feel like it's that lack of content, that desire to want to see something more that spurs creativity, that makes you have to see things in different ways. And as a result, allows you to really offer a perspective on the world in storytelling that's going to not only be unique, but impossible to rip your eyes from. Right, right, right. It's bringing yourself into the character's struggle and identifying yourself into that kind of reality to say, yeah, no, I, I could relate to that insecurity. I could see that struggle and really challenge the audience to say, wow, so this is how this person experiences the reality I just so happen to just be, you know, content with or even like uh those who are in the fringe who don't have the opportunity to express that to really just say yeah there's someone who gets it absolutely and i think it's that unique perspective that's so captivating and entertaining to the people who watch film and who go into a theater to want to experience or feel something that is both relatable but also different that's new and exciting that's brings life sort of into people and you know to quote seto kaiba of all people <laughs> you know i've never accepted mediocrity as a standard and neither should you and honestly if you think about the most interesting people who have ever lived throughout history the people that we still still tell stories about to this day none of them have ever been um particularly happy with the status quo the revolutionaries the artists politicians the, you know the people who have gone to really make a difference in the world who have gone to share and create um you know to share their vision to create something truly wonderful i mean if you even think about like beethoven being one of the greatest creators of music um in all of history was deaf, couldn't even hear his own work for a fair amount of his life. Um, and that is, you know, like it, it makes you think like there is a unique sort of strength to having a different perspective on the world. You know, honestly, 
it takes someone who struggled a bit to be able to tell a message. Does that make mm. sense? You you rarely want to hear something from someone whose life is established and they've had everything going for them from the, from the get-go, you know? Right. But the second someone's walked through a little bit of dirt, all of a sudden their opinion matters just a little bit more. Mm. I In general, though, it's, it's so true. Like, I would say as a film major, I definitely had to run from reality a bit because I grew up in a family where they were just like, Hey, everyone's gonna be a doctor, a vet, a nurse, a, you know. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, I yeah. want to do film. Yeah. <laughs> Please the, don't disown me. <laughs> it's the come on, man. It's the Asian family syndrome. <laughs> That's literally what it is, including me. But yeah, like again, people. I would say people like me, but like just in general, creative people have to be able to run away from what reality is because maybe reality is like not cinematic enough for a, a, a screen or for a page or for a canvas you know like or a compelling you have to create enough. your own little reality create a little narrative and then the, that narrative that you're explaining and in, in the context of whatever your work is becomes the message that you want to portray out to the world you know right yeah yeah and that message that you're portraying from your own reality becomes the message that everyone takes in and then has that conversation with that got you started within your own passion in the first place. And it's a very neat way to look at like how films are made. Like again, why your favorite films are your favorite films is because you had a conversation with that film and really took the context of the creator that put that film together and took it in within yourself. And the thing I like most about Meister, which is the film Gene created is that it's 90 minutes long thoughts. Well, I think when he said that it's 90 minutes long, I think that was like a little love letter that he gave to Pompo. Because when she says she doesn't like two-hour-long movies, because to her, it feels like it's like she's like not getting into the heart or getting into real details that'll make that movie interesting. Mostly this for me, but at the same time, I wouldn't do this if it weren't for her. So me saying this is like a little homage to her. I was just... I'm glad you brought this up, considering when we had our conversation a little bit earlier. <laughs> I was trying to figure out if I had the energy to do this review, and you told me it was 90 minutes. I thought, thank God. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. At least it's not, not going to be sitting through a two-hour film. And the fact that they brought that up in the film was such parody with an irony that I... I nearly bursted out laughing. And that was despite the fact that you warned me that it was in the film. <laughs> you just didn't know when it was going to come in. Is it great? Kind of going back to what I was saying a little bit earlier about, like, you know, editing um, and innovation and trying to make films more engaging. I think, yeah, no, they have a point. I think there is a, you know, there's a time and a place for long form film, but at the end of the day, it is kind of exhausting. It really kind of has to be engaging for you to want to dedicate that much time. I mean, how many people do you really hear, unless you're like a diehard fan, rewatching Lord of the Rings? So, I mean, like, I know it's a great trilogy, and, and like, there are plenty of fans that will even sit through all three films in one sitting, but, like, that's, those are the most dedicated people. They're great films, but a lot of people don't want to sit down and watch them because they're so long. Yeah, like how like many Harry Potter films too? Yeah, do you do you not under Okay, so I'm gonna go on a side rant right now. Do you? How many people do you have you met that are like, oh man, I watched Lord of the Rings, the director's cut, the four hour movies. How many people have you met that are like that? 
because I could tell you. Aren't like diehard nerds? Exactly, and they probably don't leave their home. Uh, and basically, you're talking to me because <laughs> yeah, I'm no guilty as charged. I mean, we know what we do for a living. But... <laughs> <laughs> we know what happened in, with Sauron, but. Anyways, be, uh, besides uh, making fun of ourselves because we think we're funny, uh, the the thing like uh, what I found really funny was just this was that the, when he said that the the minute the movie itself is ninety minutes long, the movie Pompo the Cinephile is ninety minutes long. And I'm like, I did love that. I yeah. have to admit, I do love when there is a content, like there is an actual film, like. I think it captures the kind of that. like self awareness and this the sort of like meta cheekiness of the of the film. Oh no, and I absolutely adore that. Like they, it took as long in the film as they said it would, and I love that continuity. I love that. Attention oh yeah, to detail. absolutely. Like the, mo- the movie in of itself, uh, uh, more specifically with Pompo the Cinephile, it already shows that they care. Yet when they said like the thing I like about most is that it's ninety minutes long. Like, man, that is like the perfect way to end the movie. Like it is such a beautiful bow to tie it with. Oh no! <laughs> it, it, it truly was fantastic. <laughs> I, I have to admit that it, it was such a cheeky way to end it. it definitely made it made me crack up. Mm-hmm. I, I I loved I, I loved being able to leave the movie with a laugh. Yeah, it doesn't happen very often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm glad it got it got you to feel that way because, uh, yeah, no, th- this movie is just oh, such a breath of fresh air. <laughs> For film, that is. For film, and honestly, even for character protagonist writing, like I said, I'm just so grateful that they can... I I, I feel like protagonists sometimes always have to be a bit selfish because they don't have a strong desire. I mean, what's the point of following them? I feel like you just... uh, like One of anime's weaknesses is they have so many protagonists that are just going along with the flow or just being told you're doing stuff for the greater good. And it's nice to see... It's nice to see protagonists that are following their own path, um, that want that have their own sort of desires and goals, um, their own reason for being. Yeah, nice. like yeah, having their own individual motivation than just saying like "gung ho, all for the power of friendship, Yahoo." Yeah, and like the best part too is that they didn't have to like overly state in the first act. Like it was really obvious that he wants to become a director and that he wants to do this and that he's. Uh, you know, like, he feels a little bit out of his league when given the opportunity, but he didn't, like, spend two of the five minutes monologuing about how he's going to be the, become the best director in all of Hollywood or whatnot. Uh, it, you know, it, it felt realistic. It felt like, hey, I have this dream, this passion, this burning desire, and right now I'm letting my insecurities take the bet, you know, a hold of me, but you know, I'm going to power through this and not in a really cliche way. I kind of, I really appreciate that. I understand the point that was trying to be made here. I can't say that that is applicable in all cases, but very specifically in this case, it was a very, like, I say the word powerful way too much time I think about it, but it was a very powerful moment when um, 
he's thinking of that quote at the Academy Awards, and he's just like, what do you like the most about your own movie? And he's like, I just like that it was 90 minutes long. And I thought about it right before this movie like aired. I Okay, I needed to find a moment in my life to actually put myself like in a chair and like watch that movie. You know, like uh, I was struggling to find a time and then I just said, okay, screw this. I'm putting down like four projects. I'm going to watch this movie. I'm going to take notes and then oh, we'll, I'll have this ready for for this interview right here, right now, right? And I looked at it. I started playing. I'm like, oh, it's only an hour 30. Cool. I could do this. <laughs> and then I, the movie happened and I'm like, ah, it's also me. <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying, like, yeah. the movies are too long. They could tell their whole thing in, like, an hour and 30. And I'm yeah. just like, wow, movies really are too long. I wish they would all tell the movie in their <laughs> hour 30. Yeah, and, like, you know, it's really cheeky that the movie is actually only an hour 30. And it yeah. ends <laughs> at the hour 30. <laughs> uh, holding my fist up. How dare you? <laughs> Again, I haven't felt so passionate about a movie in a long time. and Or about an anime in general about in a long time. You realize that like a lot of movies have a lot of fluff. And mm. I'm not saying this movie didn't have any of the fluff, but it it has a very good time again, hyper focused budget, very good comedic timing, but also a very good like understanding of the concept of time as well. Like all the scenes that needed to exist exist. And any scene that you think would have been in another movie, like by any other director, like, oh, we need some establishing beauty shots. This movie's just like, no, we can combine those establishing beauty shots with the transition we've cut off multiple seconds of film because we just threw the establishing shot of the next scene in the transition itself masters absolute masters of like timing in general this movie was a masterwork of timing like they just knew how long a scene needed to be done how to communicate mm -hmm. that kind of visceral emotion of, of it and like even you just see, uh yeah. you literally see gene like characterized as holding a sword by the way that sword that he's holding when he's cutting the films is an actual film splicer if you've ever seen one it's quite literally a film splicer huh. Little <laughs> he's just details. sitting there doing in no game no life colors just jumping up in the, in the you see all the red outlines right yes i did i did like in no game no life colors jumping up sp spinning in the air and like cutting three different film lines and then like juxtaposing them together that's actually how film was made back in the day that's crazy. Wow. And when I saw um the old dude like sitting there like oh, I'm just cutting up old films, seeing which can be reused, and then like putting the clear tape over, I'm just like, wow, he's they animated that. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually how <laughs> filmmaking was back in the day. I studied this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I it, it brings me a lot of joy just to hear a film major really spaz out about this. It's great. I guess the point, the bigger point, isn't that every movie needs to be an hour thirty, but it's just. There's a lot of fat that can be trimmed in anything. Again, like uh, I like to take like mental notes and apply them to grander context than just like the what was intended, obviously. But like, think about like whatever you've made, right? Like, how much of that was absolutely necessary, and how much of that just drives your point. Now, can you cut off any of the stuff that wasn't necessary and still drive your point? And by chance, does your point get stronger because of it? You know. Like, as much as I love B-roll and, like, just making, like, transitionary shots where, like, you okay, so if you're making a montage, then usually if you're going to go to a next location, you want to show a scene of you getting in a car and then the car driving off and then, like, you guys walking to the next venue. Like, 
Do you really need any of that? Can you combine any of that into anything else? Can you shave off six seconds and then make the point stronger because now they don't need the, the middle context? You know, this movie does a very good job of just showing you, hey, we're going here now. This is the next part. And you're like, okay, well, let's just, let's see what you have to say. Let's listen to your story. This really amazing story. Mm. <laughs> a page turn transition into coffee. It's literally the page, like you, you see the page <sighs> turning, cool. Like that was interesting because it's like it's in your face. A page is literally turning. But it's also think about it. You're going to the next chapter. It's the next page of this story. You know, so they they there's a double context thing that they threw into this three second transition, maybe even like a one second transition. And they've shaved off many seconds of having to put a new scene establishing where they are and then a zoom in shot. You know, there's something you can do with animation that you can't do with real life. They very much used that ability of an anime or just an animation in general, to drive it home that, like, film can be more than life. Anime film can be more than more than film life. <laughs> Actually, I have one more quote. <laughs> yes, go for it. Uh, they specifically said, at, towards the end when he was doing his last cuts of the film and trying to shoot it under that one hour 30, mm-hmm. he had this little tangent ex- uh, where he quoted, or said, end quote, what was discarded in pursuit of a dream... And then something, something to create something you have to sacrifice. Mm. And that how, like him cutting the parts of the film was more than just cutting those moments of the film. It was literally cutting off hours and hours and hours of his efforts in this movie. Yeah, to that would make the movie. Yeah, to and, give context, it's to show uh, it was Gene, Gene editing to show what was discarded in the pursuit of dreams. That was his yeah. purpose of the film. And, like, in general, like, what did Gene have to discard to become the filmmaker that he is here, you know? Like, there are several experiences in his own life that he had to just get rid of and understand in a greater context than, like, him just working for, for the medium, you know? And that, that moment where he discovered this film isn't me making a film. This film is about me, you know? Like... He's sitting there and discarding all those preconceived notions of what it means to work in the industry and understand that it's more than just working in this industry. It's straight up like the message I have to tell as me as the director and me seeing Pompo believe in me as a character and me wanting to tell a story. This story is about me and my experience here. I can tell so much more than just having recorded a bunch of scenes and throwing it all together in one moment. So he discarded everything that gene was in the beginning where he's just trying to get into the industry and focus solely on i'm an artist here's my message Mm. yeah you know and like that pursuit of his dream he had to discard like again you have to sacrifice a lot of your preconceived notions to really drive a piece of art through and i don't know yeah yeah, kind of and, point I had to make. <laughs> right. Well, and also we see Gene really come to his own. Like he was a very self-conscious person, and now he's just owning up to his own personal artist mm-hmm. and making that film a reality for Pompo for himself. Any last thoughts you have with regards to Pompo the Cinephile? Whether you're a fan of anime or not. This is always going to be a recommendation to anyone who is actually have a passion for film, who wants to know like a, what it's like to actually see what it's like to do and what is recommended to be while you're in the film industry. And also, I just like the fact that it's a movie about making a movie. So there's also that double layer there. 
I would say please continue making more films that are experimental like this, especially with the editing style. I, I've been loving how really just high effort a lot of these anime films have been within the last few years, and I really want this trend to continue. And, you know, if we're lucky, maybe even extend to some shows as well. Um, just so we can have something like, I don't know, just something a little bit more unique to sort of talk about. It it just be it would be a lot more fun than just, you know, like repeating isekais every you know season or making films that you know making rom com films like all the time. I just I I love sort of seeing a new focus, and I really hope that the industry continues to go in that direction. If you have any amount of creativeness welling within you or believe you do or want to start believing you do like this is the movie for you it is probably the most inspiring movie i've watched in a very long time i can't even think of the last time i've felt this inspired to really hone in on my crafts i'm your show host jonathan Josar beltran here with the cliff the deck signing out thank you everybody <laughs> we'll see you all at the next otaku hourly peace out y'all for more information about Pompo the Cinephile, please visit the G Kids website at G, the letter G, kids.com. Once again, the letter G, kids.com.